You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. How are you today? What a beautiful week this has been, hasn't it? Wow, get a, get a little break from that 20-degree weather. We are uh, week two into a series called Rooted, and I very much like this series, Grow Deep, Live Tall, Grow Tall, Live Tall, Grow Deep. And, uh, you know, we're talking about getting rooted roots are where a tree gets its nourishment. If you know, if you're, a, you know, a tree person, an agricultural person, uh, the root system is is vital to the health of a tree. Uh, and and if you maybe you've seen uh, trees that are, you know, they they often say that as as large as it is above ground is is how you know complex and deep it is below the ground. And uh, when you when you have a tree that is healthy. Man, it can go through storms and uh, hurricanes, and it can it can endure the storms, the trials of a complex weather system. But maybe you've seen some trees, some large trees that have been blown over. Take a look at this picture here. Some some trees that have uh, that appear to be massive trees, but somehow when the wind came or when the storm came, it, it took them right out. And and people often wonder why is it that even large trees can, can get blown up? Well, the, the answer is in the root system. The reason these large trees get blown over is because the the roots are soft, they're they're weak, they're they're frail, they're malnourished. And, and a tree, even though it can look great above ground, if the roots aren't healthy below ground, in the in the dark deep parts of the earth, if that root system is not healthy, then when the storms come, that tree's gone. Now, it's the same with you. You may look great on the outside. You may, you may give the appearance that you and Jesus are awesome and that you and God are great or that life is great. Maybe you're not a follower of Christ and you're like, you know what? I just don't need it until the storms come. And then you see how deep the roots go. You see how how strong and how nourished you really are. And the, the point of Colossians is there's a, there's a city in Colossae. There's a, the city is Colossae, but there's a church in the city of Colossae who's, who's looking pretty good above ground. They're, they're kind of new followers of Christ. In fact, the entire New Testament is written to brand new followers of Christ. So if you're, if you're looking for something and you're new for, in Jesus, the New Testament was written just for folks like you. And Colossae is a church that seemed to be growing okay on the outside, but their pastor was concerned about the root system on the inside. So he traveled to go get some answers by Paul. So when you hit the storms of life, at the very core of who you are, will you stand? Will you be able to stand? Will your root systems be grounded? So here's this church. They were blown around by different beliefs. Uh, different thoughts, different philosophies, different ideas, and there was confusion. Would they survive the storm? Colossians 2, 6 says this. It says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul is saying, you know what? You guys have given your life to Christ. Now it's time to get rooted and grow deep so that you might live tall, strengthened. God's agenda is for you to grow deep and to live 
tall. See, Colossians is broken into two sections. The first one talks about the root system. And then the second half of Colossians talks about the fruit system. The first half is all about what we believe. And the second half is all about how it affects our life, how we walk it out, and what it looks like when we are rooted and grounded. So I'm excited. I love this book. It's a great book for any time in your walk, but it's a great way to start off the new year. Last week, we, we took a look at uh, the background. Let's kind of review a background check. Uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul. Colossians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus... Apostle means sent one. Everybody say sent one. Sent one of Jesus. Paul's words, instructions, and authority were the authority, words, and instruction of Jesus. Sent by Jesus with a message. He says, I'm the spokesman. I'm the apostle sent by Jesus, not because he wanted to, but he goes on to say, by the will of God. He says, man, these, these, are, these are words sent by Christ. Paul's words are scripture. They're equal with Jesus. Paul thought so, and Jesus told him so. When he called Paul, he says, you are going to speak the words to the Gentiles. That's us. And he goes, and Timothy, our brother, they're both in house arrest in Rome. Take a look at the map. You can see that they're way over in that, in boot Italy, uh, in Rome, in house arrest. And then Colossae is a church way over uh, in Asia Minor, which is Turkey today, it says to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father. So uh, here's Colossae, a small town about 100 miles outside of Ephesus, which is a big city. Colossae was the smallest of a tri-city metropolitan area that was struggling and dying. In fact, years after this letter, an earthquake hit, and that town was abandoned, and the Christians kind of moved to Ephesus and Galatia and all over. Uh, Their pastor, Epaphras, was concerned about the winds of disbelief and discord and confusion and some of their strange beliefs that were kind of rising up inside. He was encouraged by their love for others and their love for Jesus, but their faith was shallow, so he journeyed to Paul in prison to get some advice. This letter is the response from Paul. Paul wrote wrote two letters to Colossae. One is this one, and the other one we did last year called Philemon. You might remember that. They were written at the same time and delivered at the same time. So last week, we looked at just the introduction. It was Saul's beginning of the love sandwich. If you guys know what a leadership love sandwich is, it's where you go in and say, man, you're awesome. I'm proud of you. You're doing great. Man, you're doing a great job on this. But there's some things that need to change. You get to the meat and then you follow it with, but you're awesome. I love you doing great. Keep up the good work. That's a, that's leadership love. And you, you love meat love. It's like, there's like a love bun. Uh, you go get the, the, the big thick meat And then the love bun. He started off with the love saying, man, I love you guys. I think about you often. And when I think about you, man, I'm so thankful for you. He says, I pray for you. And then he jumps right in with the, with the heavy duty. Now today we're going to take a look at probably one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. That's right. It's one of my favorite, and I was telling uh, my kids this week, is that this section is one of, the, one of the favorite passages in all the Bible for preachers. Because this section that we're about to read, we're about to study today, is like, man, gets preachers riled up. It is one of the most explicit, most uh, uh, powerful, clear uh, declarations of who Jesus is in the entire New 
Testament. Possibly these nine verses are, are the most uh, powerful declaration of Christ in all of Paul's letters for sure. So uh, before we break into who Jesus is, based on Colossians 1, I want to talk a little bit about some of the different versions of Jesus um, that we often have. We, you know, we, when we don't get this right, we tend to substitute Jesus into something that he's not. We, 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 we tend to make him into something or someone who he is not. We, we tend to make him into our image, and we, we tend to transform Jesus into what I would like to say is a mascot. We, we tend to make him a mascot of our, of our own agendas. Here's a few examples of what we do to Jesus. Some people, they like to make Jesus into the, the prosperity Jesus, and that he's a mascot to affirm their greed. Or the diversity Jesus, a Jesus to affirm their pride. Uh, or a conservative Jesus, a Jesus who will affirm their legalism. Or the revolution Jesus, a Jesus to affirm their politics. Or the justice Jesus, a Jesus to champion their social work. Or the tolerant Jesus, a Jesus to affirm an alternative lifestyle. Or the buddy Jesus, a Jesus to affirm a shallow fluffy faith or the hyper manly Jesus, a Jesus to affirm your insecurities an orthodox Jesus to affirm your traditions or the hip Jesus to affirm your rebellion to traditions. You see, we, we tend to make Jesus into the mascot of our own agendas when we don't know who Jesus is. And if changing him doesn't work, we abandon him altogether. And the Apostle Paul was writing to them saying, don't abandon Christ. You, you got started right. Continue in the faith. This is Jesus. He makes it clear. One of the most profound passages is answering the question, who is Jesus? Jesus asked his disciples that. And I want to ask you that this morning as well. Here's a video. Jesus. Who is Jesus? That's the question. That's the question. Was he a real person? What did he say? What did he do? What made him so special? What made him different than any other man in history? The records show. His birth was a miracle. His mom was a virgin and she was pregnant. He made the blind see. The deaf hear. The mute speak. The paralyzed walk. He healed terrible diseases. He knew what was in men's minds. He knew what was in men's hearts. He knows what is in men's hearts. He knew the story of people's lives without ever having met them. He spoke with authority. He amazed teachers. He amazed everyone. Nature obeyed him. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He walked on top of the water. He could change the weather. He fed 5,000 people from one lunchbox. He brought people who were dead 
back to life. He loved sinners. He loved everyone. 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 He forgave sins. He never made a mistake. He never once sinned. But we judged him. We whipped and beat him. We spit on him. And we killed him. He loved us anyway. He loves us anyway. He died for us. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He paid for our sins with his life. Did I mention he loves us? He came back to life. He was dead. Then he was alive. A lot of people saw him. He is coming back. Who is Jesus? That's a big question. That's the big question. What does it even matter? What does it matter to you? Who is Jesus? My answer doesn't matter to you. Only your answer matters to you. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? In Colossians 1, Paul shouts loud and clear who Jesus is. Let's read it, and then we're going to break it down. I want you to read it the way that he might have stood in front of the people and read it, how the pastor or the leaders who received this letter in their house church in Colossae might have read it, and then how they might have talked about it and broke it down is what we're going to do. So let's read it first. Colossians 1.15, he, some translations say the son, the son was added. The original does not say the son, it just says he, and the reason it says the son and son because they're clarifying who the he is. And the son does not mean birth, offspring of God. It means flesh of God, the one in the flesh. Uh, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and In him, all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is everything he might, so that he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, I can imagine Paul writing this or scribing this, and all of a sudden, he gets up and goes, You know, I I can just see Paul getting riled up, just having to shake it off. Because he's like, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I pray for you. Awesome. And then he says, you know, Jesus is the image of God. Spirit hit him. You know, you know, he gets all like, wow. By the way, that little passage right there was made into an early church hymn within the first hundred years. So one of the early, 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 you know, post-Christ churches after this letter, that became a hymn to declare the greatness of Jesus, that portion right there. So it goes on, it says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Some of you raised in church, you might have 
heard that and you go, I've heard that passage so many times. You know, I, my daughters have known me their whole life. Obviously, right? And to this day, I can tell them a story about myself and them go, wow, really? I can even tell them stories about themselves. And they go, wow, really? Even though they've known me their whole life, there's still a lot, a lot about me they don't know. And there's a lot about them that they don't know. I want to challenge you today to be that child with their father. Be, be a child with the father and allow yourself to discover something fresh about Jesus today. Maybe you've heard this passage, but be ready to be wowed today. So let's break down what Paul is saying. Powerful statements about Jesus. This sets, this passage sets Christians apart from every other belief system on the planet. In fact, if you don't believe this portion of scripture right here, then the Bible says you're not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you're not in relationship in Christ, then you're not with Christ in the afterlife. According to this passage, this separates us all. See, that video says it just right. It it doesn't matter what I think about Jesus. What matters is is what you think about Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to give you the scriptures and I want you to decide who you say Jesus is. Here's where he starts off. Colossians 1.15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. And I want you to write this down. Jesus is. Today's message is Jesus is. I want to give you some things out of this passage that Jesus is. The first thing I want you to write down is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's not cubic zirconia, zirconia God. He is 24 karat God. He is, he is the real deal. He is the, the shining city on a thousand hills. He is the invisible revealed. He's the unseen seen. Now, some might say, well, he's not God. He's God's son. As if there's a difference. When the Bible says he is God's son, it's saying that he is God's in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. It's not saying that God is a, who, who had a baby and, 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 and God didn't have like, like some sort of weird relationship that caused him to have a, a child somewhere. And it's, and it's not saying that he, it's saying that he is 100% this invisible, unknowable God that you can't know. You can only know him through Christ. He's the invisible made visible. In fact, the word there is econ, which is where we get the word icon for the word image. He says that he is the icon of God to make evident the reflection of he's the very stamp of he's the mirror of, you know, think of it this way. And I've used this before. Think of it like a PC. When you, when you click on that icon for word, man, word opens up, right? You click on it, you get it. This is the idea. When you click on Jesus, you get God. It's just as he is the icon. He is the very, he's not a portrait. He's not a representative He's the icon. You want to see God? You want to know God? Click Jesus. That's what he's saying. But then he goes on to say of the invisible God. That means no one can see God. No, you cannot see the fullness or the glory of God. Even in heaven, there'll be a limited amount of what we can see 
of the glory of God because we can't get outside of God. The Bible says that God contains all space. He contains it all. God's not in a location. Everything is contained inside of who God is. The universe cannot hold him. We cannot hold him. We cannot get outside of the universe to see the glory of God. No one can see him and live. That's what the Bible says. It says, Exodus 33, no one can see me and live. That's what God told Moses. First Timothy, Paul says, the, the king who is eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. He says again in chapter 6, to this God whom no one has seen or can see. And John says that no one has ever seen God. And then Jesus says this. He says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father. He has made him known. You see, the invisible is now knowable. The unknowable is now knowable in Christ. In the Old Testament, God occasionally appeared in temporary physical form to communicate to his servants and to his prophets. Those are what's called his theophanies. Everybody say theophany. It's a big word. It basically means the flesh, uh, God in flesh or God in appearance. And, and throughout, like Abraham saw a theophany when he talked to God. Moses saw a theophany when he talked to God. Uh, Isaac saw a theophany when he talked to God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob saw a theophany when he talked to God. And, and, and uh, Joshua saw a theophany when he talked with God. And, and throughout the Old Testament, occasionally God would show up. These are theophanies. Now, what we're going to find is the Colossians tells us that that image of the invisible God That's Jesus. So that means all these Old Testament theophanies now become Christophanies. Christ appearance. First Colossians 1 19 says, for in him dwells the fullness of God. Uh, In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In uh, Colossians 2, it says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the fullness of God revealed. You can't see God, but you can see God in Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He's the fullness. He's the image of the invisible God. That means that fullness means complete, not lacking in anything. He's not part. He's not partial. He's not half. There is no other. He's not a rep. He's not a way. He's not one of many ways. He's not one of many appearances. He's not the next one in the line of appearances. He is the only appearance. There's never been one like him. There's never going to be another one like him. There hasn't been anyone that wasn't him if it wasn't truly him. He did not become God, but he is forever God. We should challenge and ask questions. Some of you are like, well, how can Paul say this? That's a huge claim. How can Paul, where does Paul get this? And and it's important that we ask questions. We should ask questions about where the Bible gets its understanding. And why does Paul uh, say this? Does Paul get it right? Can we trust what Paul is saying? Yes, we can. You know why? Because it's exactly what Jesus said about himself. Jesus' words declare that he is God. His miracles testified that he is God. And his resurrection proved that he is God. I've got some additional scriptures in your worship guide, a lot of them. And there are just a few of the verses where Jesus proclaims and proves that he is God. And not only that, that everybody around him understood clearly what he was saying. 
Jesus claimed he was equal with God, claimed that he was the flesh of God, claimed that he was the voice of God, claimed that he was the authority of God, claimed to have the power of God, claimed to be the creator of all things. Jesus claimed to be fully God. And that was the very reason why he was arrested because of blasphemy of claiming to be equal with God. Now, could you imagine if I claim that? I said, hey, guys, I got a revelation for you today. Guess what I found out? It's been revealed to me that I've been God all along. A lot of culture like that. Now, if I even came in and I even hinted at the possibility that I was God, immediately you guys probably wouldn't even finish out this message. You might just get up and walk out. You would think Ted is insane, demon-possessed, or crazy. And you know what? That's exactly what they said to Jesus. As soon as Jesus began to declare that he was equal with God and that he was God with them, the Pharisee says, you're demon-possessed. And immediately they wanted to stone him many, many times because Jesus was clear on who he was. He did not forsake his divine nature when he became a man, but he took on human nature. We can't neglect either. Some people, they like to focus on Jesus as God and that he just was kind of wearing this glove of a human body. And then some would say, well, he was, he was man and that he was just a man, a man filled with God. We can't neglect that he was fully man with every bit of the, the problems, the trials, the emotions that come with being a man. He took on flesh and blood. That's called the kenosis. He emptied himself and poured himself into a human being. That's why the virgin birth is so important because he didn't just show up on the scene in the form of a man like he did in the Old Testament in these theophanies, but he actually was born. He actually came out a baby. He lived a full life. He ate and breathed and lived his life just like you and me. He walked our road. He was tempted in the ways that we were tempted Oftentimes, movies downplay Jesus. Sometimes they'll say they'll make him either very feminine or they'll make him very mystical, like a magician, or they'll make him some crazy radical man. He is God. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He went back. He is the fullness, the totality of the divine in physical form. Jesus is the fullness. The church is not the fullness. A pastor is not the fullness. A priesthood is not the fullness. A building is not the fullness. A ritual is not the fullness. A a saint or a, a Christian is not the fullness. A method is not the fullness. A program is not the fullness. Christ alone is the fullness of God. After the resurrection, by the way, the Bible says that he remained the God-man. The Bible said he rose again from the, from the grave in a glorified body and he ascended into heaven as the son of man. That means God in the flesh. That means uh, walking and still keeping his human form so that one day when we die, if you are in Christ, by the way, even if you're not in Christ, you get to see Jesus. And it's either going to be a good day or it's going to be a bad day. For me, I'm a follower of Christ. I can't wait to see him. And when I get to heaven, I'm not going to see some big, giant, glowing, bright light. I'm going to see Jesus because he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And when we get there, we're going to see God. Jesus is his manifestation. 
He, here's how I like to describe it, because we believe in the Trinity here very clearly. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe there's one God, three persons. It's the mystery. We're three-dimensional beings. We will never totally grasp a multi-dimensional being. That'd be like trying to have a two-being. That'd be like having a stick figure trying to, trying to understand what a Rubik's Cube is. It just can't, it can't happen. We are three-dimensional. We can't understand multi-dimensions to the fullness. God is a multi-dimensional being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. The Father is the God who is the aspect of God that is invisible, that encompasses all. The Son is that God made manifest to us so that we could know this invisible God. And the Holy Spirit is the power of God working and moving inside of us. The Trinity at work, three roles. Jesus is that God in the flesh. Colossians 1.15 uses a confusing verse, though. It says, it says, it goes on to say that he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses misinterpret that verse, and they'll say, well, see, Jesus was born. Jehovah's Witnesses and some cults will say, well, Jesus was the first one born, that, that he was born, that he is an offspring of God, and that, that he was the first one, and then from him everything came about. But that's not what it means. That's a false interpretation. When the Jehovah's Witnesses started in 1915 by a lawyer, uh, he was not a Bible expert, and they misinterpreted the Bible in so many ways. But those are the foundational teachings on which they try to convince their people to follow because the original literally means it's not a first of uh, that he is created, but it is, it is called a first of rank in creation. That means among all of creation, he ranks number one. There's nothing that can be seen and he's not superior. Ancient rabbis, even before Jesus, referred to God himself as the firstborn of the world. Knowing that language, Paul said Christ is the firstborn of creation, which is firstborn of the world. It's the same dialogue that the ancient rabbis gave to God himself. He is first in rank above all things. He created all things. He started all things. He himself is not created or started. So write this down. That's a big one. The others go by really fast. Here's the second thing. He says that Jesus is creator. He is creator. If, if, if anything ever existed or if it exists, it's Jesus. It is because he did it. Look at Colossians 1.16. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the author of creation. He himself not being created ever. Jesus was never without being. He has always been. All 500,000 miles of Saturn's rings, Jesus did it. Every star in the galaxy, Jesus did it. Every sun in the universe, Jesus did it. Our perfect distance from the sun that enables us to sustain a life out of our entire Milky Way, Jesus did it. Every planet, every animal, every insect, every glorious detail, Jesus did did it. The science of life, the magnitude of the complexities of the human being in every area of science, Jesus did it. The human genome, which alone would take 4,000 volumes to hold the 20 billion bits of information in one gene, Jesus did it. He designed that. He is the creator. He rules over everything because of that in the universe and 
on the earth. He says the visible. That's the nature. And you see this in that when Jesus walked the planet, he proved this. He says he's ruler of the visible. That means the nature, storms, water. He healed every disease. He defeated death. Everything visible, Jesus said, I'm in control. Everything that's invisible, angels, demons, the spirit world, Jesus controlled the invisible. We see that in his life. Thrones and dominions. That means world leaders and kingdoms have nothing on Jesus. And then he says rulers and all authorities. That's local leaders. That's teachers. That's your boss. Jesus says, you know what? I am Lord. I am king. I am control. All these things. And this is important. He says all things were created through him and for him. Everybody say for him. For him. He did not wind the clock and let it go. He did not check out. He created all things through him and for him, and that includes you. You were created for him. Regardless of the circumstances of your birth or the background of how you got here, or regardless of the circumstances of anybody's birth or life or any baby, you were created for him. Colossians 1.17, he goes on, he says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That means before anything existed, think about it, there was nothing. Before you and I, before the universe, there was a time in, in the world where the world didn't exist, where the universe didn't exist, the sun didn't exist. There was a time when the stars did not exist. There was a time when there was nothing at all. It was, there was no, and before there was anything, the only thing that ever existed was God. And before creation, the Bible says before there was anything, there was Jesus. Clearly, Paul is saying Jesus is truly God. In Jesus, all things exist and consist. He is creator, sustainer, preserver, the unifying principle. We're here because he says so. He holds the power to hold every atom together. I mean, we have these complex, you know, uh, science uh, endeavors to manipulate atoms. And that's where we get kind of like hydrogen bombs and atomic bombs and, and uh, atomic power and how frail and fragile it is. And one small mistake, boom! Jesus says, you know what? That ain't nothing for me. I do it every day. I hold it all together. Here's the next thing I want you to write down. This is a big word. It's Jesus is pre Eminent, preeminent. I'm explaining that word in a minute. Verse 18, he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. The head means the source. That means he is the, our source of power, our source of direction, our source of motivation. He is the source of our authority. He is the source of our leadership. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. You know what the greatest, most dynamic organization on the planet is? It's not Viacom. It's not Apple. It's the church. And Jesus says, I head that up. And he says, he, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means he's the first being who was born, because he was born of a virgin, though he had been around forever. He experienced the, uh, the fullness of life by allowing himself to be a fertilized egg that grew nine months in his mother and was born just like every one of us in this room. However, he was crucified and put to death, but he rose again from the dead, glorified. He was the first among all of creation to have a resurrected, glorified body. You see, he had risen the dead. 
he had risen several people from the dead. And in the Old Testament, people had come back to life, but nobody had risen from the dead in glorious, in glorious resurrection. He was the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Everybody, everybody say preeminent. Preeminent means supreme, superlative, paramount, dominant, unbeatable, untouchable, unmatched, unconquerable, invincible. He is over all. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul clearly is saying that Jesus is almighty. He is God. Almighty. Here's what we like to do with Jesus. We like to do this. We like to treat Jesus like this. I got a couple things here. Uh, I've got here um, my vitamins, my supplements. You guys ever seen these before? Juice Plus. I started taking these um, the year I got cancer. And uh, we bought boxes of them. We're still trying to get through them because I'm not really good at taking my pills. Um, supplements. We treat Jesus like an add-on if you're a techie and you don't take vitamins. You know, We treat Jesus like some sort of protein powder. You know, we, we treat him like some sort of a, a supplement to our life. Just kind of, I've heard Jesus can help you out, bring you some peace, you know, give you some sense of direction. So I'll just supplement Jesus when I remember to my life. Or sometimes we treat him like, like the other supplement or the other thing, the other pill, ibuprofen or aspirin. We, you know what, uh, we're, we're fine. We're good, Jesus. You know, I don't need to be involved or think about the kingdom or, or serve uh, uh, the kingdom in any way or, or reach out of the world. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that hurt, God. Something painful in my heart. I need you. And we pull out Jesus and we pop a few Jesus pills until the headache goes away or the pain goes away. The pain of loss or the pain of a breakup or the a trial in your life, a financial worry, a stress, and we treat Jesus like, like some sort of add-on, some sort of supplement. Jesus is not a supplement. He is preeminent. And this is something that we need to get in our mind because it's, 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 it's huge. Sometimes we treat Jesus like, man, he's a great guy. He's very helpful. He's in my top five. He's like Yoda, but better, you know. Jesus... Is not a supplement. He is preeminent. He is the center. He is the sovereign head of state with all supremacy. He is to be the one who guides and leads every choice, every decision in your heart and mind. And if he's not, he's just a supplement or an add-on or a prescription pill to ease the pain whenever you don't feel good. But Paul says, verse 20, and through him, through Jesus, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on heaven or on earth, he made peace or making peace by the blood of his cross. I want you to write this down. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. And he walked that life straight to the cross. He went from the cradle to the cross. That was his plan. His plan was not just to be a good guy, to start some sort of spiritual revolution, to teach us all how to get along. His goal was the cross. He came to die for the glory set before him, for the joy set before him. That's your potential salvation. He endured the cross, the Bible says. 
He walked to the cross. You see, one day every one of us will stand before God and we will give an account for the sins in our life. Good things and bad things, we will have to give an account. And God, who is holy and loving, he's also perfect in his justice. And we have failed God, every one of us. And standing before a holy God, God does not wink at sin. And just like a a good parent will discipline their child, our father is perfect in his justice. But Jesus came. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only one of a kind, never has been, never will be another son that's his flesh to die for us. And when he died, our salvation was purchased and it was enough to reconcile. The word reconcile, the word there means to bring back home. See, Jesus, you can write this down and you know, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, when you have Jesus, you may have nothing else and you can't add anything else. But if you have Jesus, it's enough. It's enough to wash away every sin in your life, every shame in your life, every selfish action in your life. Jesus is enough. He's enough to cover it no matter what you might have done, no matter where your feet have taken you, no matter what your hands have done, no matter what your mouth has said, no matter what your eyes have seen, no matter what your heart has felt, no matter what your mind has thought, he is enough. That's the message of the gospel, that in our sin, Christ is enough. And that's good news. And he says this, verse 21, Paul says in Colossians, he goes on, he says, And you who once were, there was a time when you were alienated, he says. Alienated means that you belonged to another. Your citizenship, you're, you, you, you were owned by somebody else. He's talking about those that are in sin, those who are under the reign of a false God who is Satan, who lies through deception, through guilt, through shame, through false religion. He says there was a time when you were once alienated, when you belonged to another and you were hostile in your mind. Some translations say you were enemies of God. That means you wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, last Sunday night, I got to um, be on the, on the 89.7 Power FM uh, talk show. And I'm on there about maybe once every month and a half, maybe once every two months at the most. And uh, I used to be a radio DJ. I was a radio DJ for 10 years, had a radio show um, for 10 years. And um, uh, the guy who I did the show with, he still does this this small, this short Sunday night radio show called Power Talk on Sunday night. So he has me coming in every now and then. So I, I come in, we're doing the show. I had Shango with me and Sam Olivari went with me and, and Noel went with me. And uh, um, we were talking about, there was a guy there, they were doing a pre-record show and he was a, the, a British guy. And he, man, I tell you, you could not know anything, but just have a really cool British accent and you sound like the smartest guy in the room. I wish I could do a good one. Anytime, I can't. Uh, and every time I do it, I just, it's, it sounds terrible. Um, I'm going to work on it. Maybe I come in here, maybe you'll listen to me better. I don't know. 
Because, man, when he talks, it's like, yeah. Right? But we were talking, I'm like, you know, about what he was there for, and they just got done. He was a just a hardcore, mean-spirited enemy of God. He was an atheist who, who mocked and belittled Christians and thought they were all just idiots and dumb uh, until a few years ago when God, like, wrapped the Holy Spirit around him. And he became a follower of Christ. Uh, and his story is actually on tonight at 9.30 on 89.7 Power FM. Uh, and and uh, just to hear his accent is, is enough reason to tune in. It's only a 30-minute show. Um, but uh, this, this whole idea that he was an enemy of God. He was once alienated. He was just like them. He, he was just like this type of guy. He was hostile in his mind towards Christ. And he says, you are doing, he goes on to say, you're hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That means you're living reckless, self-destructive, selfish lives. He says, but, he says, uh, he has now reconciled you, brought you home, made you his again, you in his body and flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He says, you know, there was a time when you hated God, but he picked you. There was a time when you wanted nothing to do with God. You were more interested in your lifestyle, your decisions, your actions, but then God picked you. There was a moment when, when you were a, an alien from God's kingdom and you, you, were, you belonged to somebody else until Jesus invited you. I want you to write this down. Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is inviting you. Paul says, you were invited. You were once an alien, an enemy, but now you're his and you're holy because you heard and you received the invitation of Christ Jesus. You see, God is either your enemy or your friend. And Jesus extends an invitation to be his friend in relationship. Jesus has come. Respond, follow, know me, walk with me, come unto me. Verse 23, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith. This is a tricky passage right there. That little, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is what's known as perseverance of the saints. That means that if you continue, then you're really his. It's just that simple. If you are a follower of Christ and you say, Jesus, here's my life. It doesn't matter what you go through or how bad you stumble or how bad you fall. If you keep following, then you're truly his. If you indeed continue in the face, stable and steadfast. I need someone to come up here. I need a volunteer. Just one person real quick. Anybody? Anyone? All right. Come on down here, Jonathan. You'll be perfect. If you continue, this is what it means. This is right here. All right. Here's what I want you to do is uh, I want you to, uh, to, uh, um, are you doing okay? All right. I'm going to, I'm only for illustration purposes. I'm going to pretend that I'm Jesus. I want you to pretend well, let's turn it around. Let's make you Jesus, all right? That way it just doesn't sound so odd. I'm Jesus. Uh, all right. Jonathan is now Jesus. He's got the right initial anyhow. So, Jonathan, I'm going to follow you. 
All right, let's just say that, that Jonathan's Jesus. I want you very slowly just to kind of walk. Hold on, because I'm going to explain what we're doing. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm a person. I'm an alien of God. I'm over here. I'm an alien God. And then I say, but Jesus, I want to know you. I want to give my heart and life to you. So I become now a child of God and I choose to follow Jesus. All right. So I'm going to follow Jesus. Go ahead. I'm going to follow Jesus. All right. So I'm following Jesus. All right. And this is what kind of he's talking about. But what if I, I stumble and fall? What if I stumble and fall? Now, if I stay down, you can keep walking. And I go, forget it. Then maybe I was never following Jesus. Maybe I was following an idea, a concept, a belief system, uh, or, or just kind of wanted something out of the relationship. But if I fall and I stop following, then maybe, maybe I wasn't truly following. I was just out for a walk. Okay, now come back over here for a second. Um, but if I fall, and go ahead and like you're walking. and Say, I just fell. All right, if I'm following and I fall, but then I get back up and I keep following... I may fall again. I may stumble and fall again, but I'm going to keep getting up because that's what a follower does. And if Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him pick up his cross and I himself and follow me. And I decide, Jesus, here's my life. And Jesus said, if you put your hands to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom. If I decide I want to fall and then I look back, well, I like my old life better. So I go back. Maybe I was never a follower at all. In fact, John says in first John, he says, those who aren't among you anymore, they were never among you to begin with. Okay, you're really far away. <laughs> but I tell you what, here's the cool thing about this, is that when you do stumble and fall, go ahead. Now, when I, when I fall, I want you to help me back up. When, I, when, when you do stumble and fall, here's the difference. When you fall, Jesus is there to help you. And then he says, all right, you better. You learn something from it. You, get, you, you know, do you realize why you fell? All right, let's get going. And then we follow, we follow, we follow. Thank you, Jonathan. See, this is, yeah, let's, thank you, Jonathan. See, this is kind of the concept that Paul is saying here. It says, if you continue, if you are stable, if even when you stumble, you continue to follow, then you're his. Here's the last thing. Jesus sending you. Verse 23 says, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus invaded Paul's life. He was a hater of Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians who wanted, he was, an, he was the definition of an enemy of God. He was the definition of someone who was hostile towards God. He was the definition of someone who had evil deeds. He was the definition of someone who was alienated from God. And then God invited him and then God called him. And guess what? Every one of you have been called as well to come and then to go. Paul had a special calling on his life as an apostle, but you're also called for every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is a missionary. Each of us, we carry the message and the hope of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. God has called every one of you, if you are a Christian, to be his mouthpiece. 
Some of you guys might go, you know what? I, I just don't feel that skilled. I don't feel that smart. I don't feel that, that good. I don't feel like I, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I love our band and they're awesome, but there's probably places where there's even like hotter musicians, you know, greater with greater ability and power. I'm sorry. It's possible. It's possible. I'm not saying it's the truth, but it's possible. All right, you might go to, and, and you know, you might hear the songs and you go, yeah, that's, you know, you're like, there may be other songs that, that, that are out there that might be better, you know, in the world. Uh, or you might hear, you might buy a, a worship album or a CD, a Christian, you know, you know, it's all right, you know, but you know what the difference is? The spirit of God. You come in here and you might go, yeah, I'm an average speaker. I'm not the best, but you come in here and something happens because that's the presence and the spirit of God. And say, so you may not know if you're qualified enough or, or, or skilled enough or, or have the right look, the right words, the right actions. You're not even sure uh, if you have the ability, but God says, if you will give it to me, I've already called you. You are my missionary. And he says, if you will give me what you have, I'll mix it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that will change lives. That is the Holy Spirit working in us. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is sending us. When we neglect who Jesus is, one of three things happen. You can write this down. We either make Jesus a mascot to meet our agenda or issues, uh, or we make Jesus the snuggle uh, just to make us feel good when we need it, or we make Jesus the supplement to improve selective areas of our life or to add on. Jesus is here to rule my life, not to improve my life. Paul was telling the church in Colossae, he is resident, he is not president. He is the steering wheel, not the spare wheel. He is the hub of life, not a hobby in life. Christ is preeminent. Let's pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Some of us have, uh, have been guilty of the very things that we talked about today. We have, we have added on Jesus. We've treated him like some sort of snuggle uh, blanket and, and, and just to kind of keep us warm on a, on a, on a day when we're feeling down or, or God, we treat him like some sort of pill to just kind of relieve the pain or, or God, we use him as a supplement just to make us stronger and a, because we think it's a good idea and because he's a good guy. But God, it's much, much, much more than that. God, you are to reign sovereign and supreme in our life. As we close in prayer today, I want to challenge you guys to take a moment to search your heart. Is he supreme ruler in your life? Now that you understand who Jesus is a little bit better, as the creator God Almighty, the invisible God made known to us, the unknowable God is now knowable. The icon of God, click Jesus, and you know the Father. to Jesus right now? Will you click on Jesus in your heart and ask him, Jesus, I need more of you and less of me.
Jesus, I need you to be supreme in my life. Go ahead and talk to him. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of not just my sin, but my arrogance and my pride of being ruler of my life. Father, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Thank you, God, that there's not a sin that you cannot forgive. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know if God could forgive me. Oh, Jesus is enough. The cross was enough. His blood was enough. His death was enough. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive us. Forgive me. Help me, Father, to keep you. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.